Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, students are back in school. We check in with Education Minnesota President Denise Speck about some of the challenges ahead. It's orchard season in Minnesota and Golden Gopher defensive back Phil Howard. But first... As a parent and as a a former teacher and as governor, uh, this is one of the best days of the year. Governor Tim Walls welcomed returning students this week at University Avenue Elementary School in Blaine. But as MNN's Bill Werner reports, the political swirl surrounding COVID continues even as students are back in actual classrooms across much of Minnesota. The governor continued his push for more Minnesotans to be vaccinated and for people to wear masks, at least indoors in public settings and outdoors in crowded locations. At a Rochester school midweek, the governor said he shares parents' concern about what he called a patchwork of local school district policies on masks in the classroom. The governor's emergency powers are no longer in place, and he says he needs help from the legislature to address the situation that students face. We will not let them push each other on the slides. We ask them not to run on the playground. For goodness sakes, we're adults and we know what protects them. The science says put them in a mask. Republican Senator Roger Chamberlain from Lino Lakes responded, one size fits all doesn't work. The districts have a lot of information from over a year of this stuff and we need to leave it up to those districts and those communities. The governor was asked if he anticipates mandating masks in school. Walls responded, there's no plan at this time, but he said if the situation warrants, he'll take a relook. I will make all the decisions necessary, regardless of what the politics are, to keep students safe. To order masking, Walls would have to redeclare a peacetime emergency. Republican Senator Chamberlain says about that. No need to go to emergency powers, absolutely not. Work with the legislature to see what we need. Done in the past, we can do in the future. That's what we're here for. Both chambers of the legislature would have to vote to recancel any peacetime emergency if the governor were to declare it. The Republican-controlled Senate would do that for sure. The question is, would the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House continue to back walls? My name is Paul Gazelka, and I'm running for governor of the great state of Minnesota. The Brainerd Lakes area senator who stepped down as majority leader to toss his hat into the ring for governor wasted no time in blasting the current occupant of that office for how he handled the riots after the murder of George Floyd. Tim Walls says he wants one Minnesota, but I've never seen Minnesotans more divided, angry, and afraid than they are today. Minnesota DFL party chairman Ken Martin fired back. Democrats pulled Gazelka and Republicans kicking and screaming to the table to talk about police reform, and he says Gazelka refused to hold a single hearing on it after the killing of Dante Wright. I think most Minnesotans never want to see again a, a person murdered in the streets by the police. And there were lots of sensible reforms that were moving through the legislature, which Paul Gazelka and the Republicans refused to hear. Gazelka also blasted Walls for his response to the COVID pandemic. Tim Walls' irresponsible shutdown, based on his lack of understanding of the scientific data, closed hundreds of restaurants and small businesses across the state bankrupting many of them. The governor responded, Gazelka and fellow Republicans. This is a group of folks who didn't believe COVID was real, simply flaunted that, spread it amongst their own members, and um, 
and just continue to deny that this happened. Walls says Minnesota has fared better on COVID than almost any other state. And a special working group trying to hammer out details of COVID bonuses for frontline workers missed this week's Labor Day deadline to agree on recommendations for the legislature. Democrats want what they term a meaningful payment of around $1,500 to a broad range of workers. But Stillwater Republican Karen Housley says the legislature authorized $250 million total. We've got 1.3 million people in the state of Minnesota that were deemed essential. If you take that and blanket it with $1,500 per person, that's a $2 billion price tag. So which workers should get bonuses to keep the price tag at $250 million? Housley contends. We all agree that long-term care workers, assisted living, nurses, nursing homes, law enforcement, health care providers, first responders, all were at increased risk. Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier from New Hope says that list excludes a large swath of workers. They showed up every single day and put their lives at risk and put their families' lives at risk, their kids' lives at risk, do the job of an essential worker because the state, we said, you need to show up to work. And Frazier says, I'm hoping that we can get to a point where we can get past the, the set number of 250 and realize that we've been giving um, a lot more money coming in from the feds and there may be more money coming in from the feds. Housley responds the working group can't look into the future and say there will be more money. And there's another political wrinkle. Some Senate Republicans are talking about ousting one of Governor Tim Walz's key cabinet members, Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm. They could do that only if the legislature is in session. And the governor is reportedly reluctant to call lawmakers back for a special session to approve COVID bonuses for frontline workers unless Republicans agree to leave Malcolm alone. Some Republicans close to the COVID bonus negotiations, like Senator Housley, contend that would be a good idea. We had so many essential frontline workers who went to work every single day during this pandemic, and to pull them into some sort of political game is is not the right thing to do. Newly elected Senate Majority Leader Jeremy Miller from Winona says about the situation. I will share that there are serious concerns about Commissioner Malcolm that we've heard from constituents, but I'll also say that it's an ongoing conversation within our caucus, and we'll we'll have to see how it plays out. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Students statewide are back at school, and as the pandemic continues, so do the challenges associated with education 
and public health. I recently chatted with Education Minnesota's Denise Speck about the school year just begun. Obviously, we've had a a year and a half, two years, unlike any other in recent memory with the pandemic. And I'm curious, uh, heading into this school year, what uh, the major concerns are uh, for Education Minnesota and for our our state's educators. Oh, my goodness. Um, You know, we are starting the third academic year that has been affected by COVID. Um, So it's really daunting to even think about that, um, you know, in the first place. But I think what is, um, you know, causing the most stress or the most anxiety this year is that, you know, there are still a lot of unknowns. You know, most educators I know uh, want to be teaching in person and they want to stay in person. You know, we're really excited about getting back to teaching and learning, um, you know, in front of and with students. But we know that the only way we're going to be able to stay in person is um, if we follow all of the recommendations and the best guidance that's out there. So here we are again, um, another year where we know that vaccines, masking, social distancing, washing our hands, all of those good things are uh, the things that are going to best uh, keep all of us in schools and staying in schools. Denise, is there anything that you're seeing based on the guidance that you've been getting that that you find particularly lacking or that you wish that there was maybe uh, perhaps more support behind? Yeah, I think the one thing that is the most inconsistent this year is that while there are strong recommendations from the CDC, um, the Minnesota Department of Health, and the Minnesota Department of Education, they all have very strong guidelines and recommendations, but they are just recommendations. Um, This year, unlike last year, um, our governor does not have emergency powers, and so our governor cannot issue any blanket um, requirements for all districts or even districts that are, you know, seeing COVID at certain levels because he just doesn't have those powers anymore. So really what we're left with is strong recommendations that districts may or may not follow um, and decisions that are resting on the shoulders of school district uh, uh, administrators and districts. Um, and that's a big that's a big responsibility for them if you think about it, um, we're asking districts and school boards to make public health decisions um, about the safety um, of their students and staff. Um, And, you know, that isn't exactly what what they're the experts, you know, on. So um, it's a very, they're in a very difficult place. And I think that's another thing that's adding to the stress and anxiety for educators, parents and students. With that in mind, Denise, do you have a particular message for parents out there heading into the new school year? Obviously, there's different sides to this, and uh, as we've learned over the course of the last couple of years, we're, we're seemingly unable to get everybody on the same page with this and see this the same way. But what's your message to parents? Well, I would say that, you know, the decisions that school districts um, need to make, um, you know, are decisions Uh, that are meant to keep students and staff safe. These are really difficult decisions. They're not easy. And the decisions don't get any easier when those decisions become politicized. 
Um, I have been to several school board meetings. I've watched many on um, online over the last year, but what I'm seeing, especially this year, um, leading into this academic year, is um, a considerable increase in um, emotion, anger, um, tension that is being brought into these meetings where decisions are going to be made. Now, I'm not saying that um, the public should not be um, voicing their concerns or sharing their best ideas, but honestly, the level of emotion and anger um, that I am seeing out there, uh, I just can't imagine having to make a decision around the health and safety of students with that added stress. Um, I really feel for the people who are, you know, left with making these decisions. Uh, do you think that, uh, based on the fact that we, we've had some time um, as educators and administrators to sort of come to terms with the, the way education looks these days amid a pandemic, that we've, that we've made some progress over the course of the last year and a half, and, and are the state students in a position to succeed this year as we head into the school year? Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, I think that, you know, most school districts are back to in-person learning, but we also know that there are a number of students um, and families who are continuing to choose an online option because that option, you know, worked best for them and uh, they liked it. So what I think we're finding is that we're able to, um, you know, meet the needs of students and give families options and do all of it better. Um, we did learn a lot last year, you know, moving in and out of in-person and hybrid and um, distance learning. Um, and I would say that a lot of learning took place, um, you know, on all sides. Students and families and um, educators learned a lot about how we can do education differently. Um, and, and I think that we will come out of this better than before, even though it feels really hard right now. Thank you to my guest, Education Minnesota President Denise Speck. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The 2021 orchard season is here and Tasha Radel has the details. Not only is Minnesota known for its 10,000 lakes, but if you ask me, we could be considered the king of apple state too. Minnesota is home to over 100 apple orchards across the state. Today I'm visiting with Terry Train with Loose Line Orchard. Loose Line Orchard is a sprawling 155-acre property located in Watertown on the Loose Line Trail. The orchard started in 2004 with a dream and 300 apple trees. Today the orchard is just shy of 10,000 trees, 4,500 grapevines, and 10 acres of pumpkins. So Terry, tell us a little how this dream became a reality for you and your family. Well, um, my husband grew up three miles west of here on a dairy hog farm, and <clears throat> I grew up in Delano, and so we kind of had to leave his farm, and, and so we worked in the cities and um, just saved our whole lives to get our own farm someday, 
So when we finally got this place, um, we spent about three years cleaning it. And uh, then we planted our first apple trees, the family did, in 2007. We really initially didn't plan on an orchard. We, um, My husband was helping out at a different orchard, and the guy said, well, if you plant apple trees, I'll buy apples from you. And uh, we were selling him pumpkins, and then the kids wanted a family business. And so um, that's kind of how it began. You mentioned this is a family business and really a dream come true for all of you. Is your family still active in the day-to-day operations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our son, uh, Reed, owns Ameriprise Financial in Elk River, co-owns, and he does all of that for us, all of the finance stuff, and then um, advises us. And then um, our daughter, Abby, owns an insurance company. So she's saying no to everything we want to do. (laughs) She's kind of Debbie Downer. But um, she buys all the clothing, our clothing, our food. We're a total foodie family, so we all have to agree on the foods that we carry uh, before we'll carry them. And um, we try really hard to stay Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, First, we were all Minnesota. Then we kind of branched out. Now we're regional. But we really, really try to support Minnesota companies because we, we know how that feels, you know. Um, and our daughter, Paige, is a vet tech, so she takes care of all of our animals. And she also works out here a lot. She's kind of the farmer. Abby and Paige are twins, and Abby's more city, Paige is more country. And Paige eventually will be taking over all of Rich's duties when he can no longer <laughs> get up in the tractor. So, oh, what what a family operation! That's pretty neat. That's pretty. Yeah, neat. we're we we're lucky to have a nice family. Our our my my family, my brothers, my um, in laws, Rich's family, they all help out here. My my daughter's uh, Abby's husband Ryan is from New Prague, and he said his next wife is going to come from a family of accountants. <laughs> <laughs> tired of working out here. I know. You have to have a sense of humor. As you know, there are dozens and dozens of orchards around the state. What do you feel makes yours unique? Uh, I think that every orchard is different and unique, and they all have their niche, and I think that's wonderful. You know, we're all different, and most orchard people really get along and try to help each other out. Um, Our our orchard is so beloved to me. Um, we had a 95th birthday party for a lady two years ago. She's coming out again this year. She's in a nursing home now. Sharp as a tack. She's 97. Um, she had not been in our house since 1940 when she lived here. So I took her in the house and gave her the tour. She kind of teared up when she saw we restored the barn because she thought that would have been caved in or torn down, and it was caved in when we bought it. Um, it, it, so many memories. We had a man stop by who lived here in the sixties and his little sister died in a fire upstairs in the house. Um, we had another girl out here at a wedding who said she grew up here in the seventies and had a horse. So, uh, one lady came by and said her friends lived here in the early thirties. I mean, she, <laughs> so it's, it's just has so much history and, um, we just want people to feel like when they come out here, they're sort of 
at a party of somebody they know, if that makes sense. And I just want it to appeal to people who are, you know, adults as well as families with kids. I know the ongoing drought really impacted uh, producers of all kinds across the state. How is your apple crop looking this year? Our crop was was really good, actually. Um, yeah, it it was a it was an extreme year uh, dry, but really, how they might have been a the apples might have been a little bit smaller, but uh, the crop was really good. Thanks again to my guest Terry Train with Loose Line Orchard in Watertown. For a complete list of fun family activities and free live concerts, head to looselineorchard.com. Again, that's looselineorchard.com. Back to you, Scott. Thanks so much, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by feedthepig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? On getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right. Which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. College football season kicked off last weekend, including for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who lost to fourth-ranked Ohio State 45-31. The Gophers returned to action this weekend with a game against Miami of Ohio. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Minneapolis native Phil Howard, who's a defensive back and special teams player for the Golden Gophers. With Phil Howard, and first of all, Phil, um, one week uh, under your belt here uh, in terms of the season, um, you stay within the state of Ohio. It goes from Ohio State to Miami of Ohio. Um, Take me back to last week. What was it like playing and being on that field with fans for the first time in two seasons? It was actually great. Like, the environment was amazing. You know, um, last year, being with COVID, not having any fans in the stadium, to go into a sellout crowd, basically, it was just an amazing feeling, and I know other guys felt the same way, and I know college football around the country felt the exact same way with it being all over the Internet and things like that, having fans back. So it was a great experience. It was great to have the fans back, and we appreciate them more than anything. When um, the game was going, you guys were there. I mean, you had you were up four uh, at halftime. You are up four with six minutes to go in the third. You cut it to seven with five minutes to play. Um, obviously, you want to win that game. Can you take some things from that, though, knowing that you had the number four team on the ropes on your own field? Yeah, you can always take things from every game, win or loss. You know, um, there's always things to learn from. But overall, I just think, you know, we got to change our best, as always. As Coach says, um, you'll never honestly be perfect all the time, but there's always um, certain aspects that we can take away, whether that's, you know, offensively, defensively, or special teams. 
as you um, were on that or in that game, um, how much uh, internal juice did you have too, knowing that you you know worked through all of August <laughs> and the fall camp and no fans last year and all of that, just to get back out now and and uh, have an opportunity to get on the field again? Oh, butterflies are definitely going. I mean, even in even in pregame warmups, just looking around, seeing the environment, I'm like, oh man, college football is back. So it was, I still get butterflies right now, thinking about like everything being kind of normal again. So it's like. We're really back, like we're really here instead of just having like your 15, you know, parents and stuff in the stands. <laughs> so it, it, it's, a, it's a good feeling. I don't think it'll go away for a long time this year. I know you and your teammates have confidence. Um, do you? Do you? Well, what do you think? Where can this team go? Uh, obviously, without Mo, and that's a you know, I mean, injuries happen, and he's kind of one of the bell cows on this team. Uh, can you use him as a rallying point here too? I think it all comes down to playing together, like Coach Flick preaches all the time. You know. Um, we all have to play together, and that's what our TGIF stands for, togetherness. And, you know, we have to be grateful for every opportunity we get. You know, we play with our identity when we row the boat, and we have to, uh, you know, stay focused through um, everything that comes our way. How meaningful is it for you to uh, to be playing football, you know, just a few miles, really, from where uh, you, you grew up and played high school football and here in your home city and your home state? It's great, man. It's a dream come true. I'm living in living the dream right now, as one would say. Um, being literally right down the street from home, going to obviously Robbinsdale Cooper High School, uh, it's actually great. Like you see high school coaches uh, a lot, you know, your support system is great. You know, you got you got the younger generation, younger kids who look up to you all across the, you know, uh, city. And it's just a great feeling when, you know, you can, you know, shed light on people and even kids who, you know, want to follow in your footsteps. That's important to you, right? You've actually done some things where you've uh, gone out and talked to kids and, uh, you know, wearing your gopher jersey and, and give somebody, uh, young kids, somebody to look to and say, hey, I can I can be the next Phil Howard. I can be the next Mo Ibrahim. I can stay home and be the next, you know, Sam Schluter, whoever it is from Minnesota, yeah. right? Definitely, definitely. But, you know, ultimately I want them to be the next them, you know. Um, don't just try to follow me. Be better than, you know, what anybody was, whether that's me, whether that's guys like Tyler Johnson who came through and is now playing in the NFL. You know, he does so much for the community as well. And, you know, me, I'm trying to be like him. I want to do a lot for the community as well. And, you know, I'm kind of figuring that, uh, figuring things out like that and how that goes. But, you know, it's awesome to see, you know, like I said, kids look up to you. And it's always awesome to see that, you know, you have that support system, like I said. And when kids play sports, you know, they have their favorite players and things like that and that this, this, and this. And when a guy, like, DMs you on Instagram, like, hey, you're one of my favorite gophers, you're one of my favorite players, even being from Minnesota, that's, like, a humbling feeling because, you know, like, I was in your shoes. Like, I grew up watching the gophers. I grew up, you know, in Minneapolis saying, hey, I'm going to go play Huntington Bank Stadium. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> So it, it, it's a great feeling, man. I can't, I can't even really explain it. That's why I'm kind of lost for words trying to think about how to say it or explain it. So, yeah, it's a great feeling. It's impactful, no doubt, meaningful, and so much so that the draw to stay home, the draw to stay with your teammates, you, you really had decisions in high school. You could have gone someplace else. You stayed home. And then there was a point in your gopher career where you did actually even enter the transfer portal. But when yeah. a push came to shove, right, it was, I'm gonna, I, I got to stay with my teammates here in my home state. Got to stick it out with those guys. <laughs> you know, Six years in, I'm sticking it out with guys like Coney, Sam, Connor, guys that I came in with, you know, um, 
it's been a long ride, but you know, we're having fun with it all day, every day. All worth it. All worth it. All worth it in the end. <laughs> well, very good. Have a good game uh, here Saturday against uh, Miami of Ohio. Thank you. I appreciate it, Grim. All right. He is Phil Howard. And that was Mike Grimm, and that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.